Welcome to Catechesis, also known as Cats and Jesus. Catechesis is Greek for teaching, and that's what our hosts, Reverend James Goodlett and Reverend Adam Roberts, will do with this podcast, Teach. Each week, they will study, discuss, and dissect the week's scripture and spoken word. Catechesis is a digital outreach of First Presbyterian Church of LaGrange. Welcome your hosts, James and Adam. We're back. We are back. Welcome to Catechesis, a production of Lewis and Broad Media. My name is James Goodlett, one of the pastors here at First Pres LaGrange. In LaGrange, GA, here with my good friend, the Reverend Dr. Adam Roberts. Adam, Happy New Year. Hey, man. Glad to be here. Yes. Pastor at large to the community. Let's do this, man. <laughs> I, I am so... Happy to be back here in studio with you and get to take a deep dive into some good scriptures this year, I have no doubt. We're also in studio with our producer and director extraordinaire, Leighton Parker. Leighton, why don't you say hello to the denizens of listeners out there? Hello. LP. Leighton, I just want to say congratulations on your beloved bulldogs going back to back. Mm. Back to back, baby. Was not in doubt. It really was not. Ohio State was, but that was those, quite a those horned frogs. Bless them. They got the frogs and the dogs. They got flattened. Bless mm. their hearts, as we say in the South. Mm. One of those ball games where you look around and you say, "I see bigger, faster, stronger on the other side." Of yes, the field. indeed. So, <laughs> congratulations to all you Bulldog fans. Uh. Hope everybody had a fantastic holiday season. Leighton, I know, is already working on season five of our founding podcast, the Lewis and Broad podcast, but I also know that she's been working on our annual music festival, Listen LaGrange. Any anything you got there for the good listeners of Catechesis? <laughs> I was she, about to say, I hope that you've pre-planned this. She must have something. You know she's got something up her sleeve. You just asked her. And, I didn't know if we had a date. <laughs> it's going to be in the spring, right? She's not even coming on mic to respond to these questions. <laughs> she's looking at her calendar, and she's like, no. I, 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 I've seen a penciled-in date, but we will not announce that. It is happening, though. And we're excited about Listen the Grange. One of my favorite events last year. Very fun time. The last thing I want to say is a hearty thank you to Adam's youngest child, <laughs> Jack, who is a phenomenal. If any of you ever need any pet sitting services. He, he's an intrepid young man. He's, he's something else. Uh, took care of our, our cat over the holiday season. And he even, I noticed, he does a little... Um, I will call it a little jig, a little dance, a little Irish-looking dance that we have forever recorded on our ring doorbell. Now, the cat did that? or that? No, no that would be Jack. your son. Yeah. <laughs> I don't it, doubt it. It was phenomenal. <laughs> I even caught him one time on it and said, Jack, you cannot leave our house until you do your jig. <laughs> Jack's jig. Oh, man. All right. That's good. Now, let's dive in because uh, there's one piece of uh, instruction that we were given. In I, heard, I heard a rumor that the... Let's call it riff, which I like to think of as sparkling banter that sets the stage and creates an atmosphere of openness for both us and the listeners. 
it's been dragging. Well, I think that's. I, I think she she just wants us to get right into the scripture. It's been this, dragging. This per, the we, particular source of this rumor. We got AKA some advice, Aunt Rhonda. Advice AKA from the produce, producer Layton. So here is um, our segue. You know who I bet did an amazing jig in his day? Uh, Andrew the disciple. I'm going to go with John the Baptist. Actually. Oh, John the Baptist. How could I not know that? I mean, now I'm sure. I'm sure Andrew had it too, but but John John, the John Baptist, was an entertainer. There's no doubt about that. He knew how to draw a crowd. I'll tell you what. So, folks, we're looking at the opening chapter of John, the Gospel of John, verses 29 to 42. I think it'd be helpful, though, Adam, for us to set set the stage a little bit for what's going on here. And actually, I, I will say, last week I preached on. The baptism of Jesus, it was baptism of the Lord. It's one of our liturgical holidays, so to speak. And I preached on Matthew's version of it, which is when Jesus goes in the water and John the Baptist resists Jesus' baptism. He's like, I don't need to be baptizing you. You need to be baptizing me. And Jesus says, no, let it be. Uh, to fulfill all righteousness, which is this kind of vague thing he says, but anyways, it's kind of his way of saying I'm a human being just like everybody else, uh, so I need to, I need to be baptized. And then the the dove comes, you know, or something like a dove comes down, and and there's a voice from heaven that says, "This is my son, the beloved. With him, I am well pleased." That was that's kind of a that's a synoptic Matthew version, Matthean version of this, but. John's a little bit different. John's a different gospel anyways. There's a lot that happens in John that doesn't happen anywhere else. But tell us a little bit about this opening chapter. Well, you know, so we jumped right in to this mystical, theological sort of um, claim statement right from the beginning of the gospel of John when we get this Trinitarian sort of formula about um, the word... um, the, the logos in Greek that's present from the very beginning of all things and the echoes back into Genesis. And then uh, that poetic sort of start keeps on um, sort of moving into me poetic sorts of ways. The conversation about the light that's come into the world, um, full of grace and truth. And then immediately, verse 15, uh, the John the Baptist um scene sort of starts to unfold um john crying out so uh there's a lot of passion and energy throughout the gospel of john um and always symbolic meaning uh happening throughout john as well well you get the i am statements in john and and there's it's a very it's just a different animal you know, the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, synoptic literally means seen together. So there's a lot of threads that weave themselves through those three Gospels, a lot of similarities. John is is different, and it, I don't want to say that the other three aren't poetic. They are, absolutely, but John is, is just kind of a different deal. Things are just presented differently. The, you don't get any birth narrative here. The sequence of events is different in many ways. The... Um, Lots and as you said, lots included in John that you don't find anywhere else, and and Christians realized this from very early on. I mean, we know from the beginning that uh, the early church realized um, Matthew, Mark, Luke have a whole lot in common, and then we also have this fourth witness that is important 
for its difference. Now, where there are similarities is this story of, of John and John the Baptist's baptism, his role as a, as a prophet, as, as somebody who baptizes out in the wilderness. And then at, at some point, he sees Jesus. And he, he says this language, something like, I am not worthy of carrying his shoes. I am not worthy of, of untying the thong of his sandal. I, you know, this, I'm not worthy kind of language. And he spots Jesus and something happens. That happens consistently throughout the gospels. And it happens in our, our scripture today. Folks are wondering exactly who John the Baptist is and asking him questions. And he, and he says, well, I baptize with water, but there's somebody else coming. There's somebody, there's something that's about to happen. And then he sees, he sees Jesus and he calls him the Lamb of God, which I think is kind of interesting. Yeah, he sees Jesus and just immediately says, this is the one. This is the one. It's like everything I've been telling you about, this is the one. Here he is. Uh, And yeah, Lamb of God, I think about a... um, like you might often see, I have a stole. It's actually um, made in one of the African Christian traditions, but it's um, it's got the the lamb image on it. And so here it is, this purple stole with this um, beautiful little innocent, vulnerable little lamb, you know. And this is an image. Well, and that language would have been in the, in those days that would have caught the ear of a listener. It would have made sense. Yeah, um, literally, a, a, there's a sacrificial element to it, which is is a foretelling of what is to come for Jesus. And so he see, I love what you said there. This is the one, and you know, which in and of itself will preach that John the Baptist, who himself had disciples, as we'll get into here in a second, but he had disciples, he had a congregation, and yet for him his principal role wasn't to glorify or point to himself, but was to point to and glorify somebody else. And I say that I'll preach because I know many a preacher, maybe this one who is talking to y'all right now, who can fall prey to narcissism and, oh, I'm this or, oh, I'm that, and it's make it all about ourselves. I mean, human beings, we can try to make things all about ourselves. And John makes it very clear, John the Baptist, that is, makes it very clear that, no, my job is to point somewhere else, to someone else, to the, to the extent and with the emphasis that his own disciples, when they hear him say this, so they hear him say this um, in uh, verse 37, um, they drop their discipleness, I guess, I just made that up, <laughs> of John because they heard him and they are compelled to leave him as their disciples and follow Jesus, who they've never met before. I've always thought that's really... The, verses 37 to 42 just fascinate me. It always, These call stories here always fascinate me of the disciples. There's quite a response that's very a very rapid response to uh, whatever the magnetism is or the charisma 
uh, that Jesus carries. I, I, that's one thing I've always speculated on in my own mind, I guess, is what is it about this man that when we produce this scene in our minds as we read it in Scripture uh, and we decide how we're going to stage it uh, in our minds, which we do when we read, um, I always have to imagine Jesus has some kind of big, silently communicated uh, power, charisma, uh, sense of, of the Holy Spirit present present with him. This this incarnation comes through. But to your point, I, I haven't thought of it this way either, is what about the charisma of John? I mean, he, he preached so compellingly that I mean, Jesus, to this point in the gospel, hasn't even spoken. Right. And he was so, John the Baptist was so convinced that this person who was walking along the shores was the one. I mean, he must have preached a pretty compelling sermon to say, follow him. Oh, the folks were ready to follow him. You know, you almost think about it. (laughs) In uh, modern culture, I guess, we've seen enough um, highly charismatic leaders who have had their people completely bought in. And a lot of times we'll, we think rightfully so like, man, that's got elements of a cult leader going on there. Like they'll just follow whatever he says. What you don't see cult leaders do that I'm aware of is just give up the reins and transfer all their people and all their power over to another individual. Now let's, let's talk a little bit about, because we, we did discuss this in, in pre-production in pre-pro as the kids call it. <laughs> what kids? I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I, the, tech, I the AV club <laughs> kids. They do. Jesus, as I said, has not spoken yet. Let's talk about his first eight words in John. What are you looking for and come and see? You had yeah. some thoughts about, about this. I just think I, it's, I love, I love, I love the fact that his first words in John are, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? Uh, Yeah, I tend to, and and this comes really from a teacher I had um, in seminary years ago, and he talked about the playfulness of Jesus. Uh, I think for some Christians, it's almost offensive sometimes to, because they think playfulness, uh, what could be more serious than Jesus and what Jesus is about? And I'm going to say that also comes from ways you have seen Jesus portrayed uh, on film and in TV. And uh, why not playfulness? Why not? Um, why not a sort of uh, wry smile and twinkle in his eye? You can think about uh, maybe parental figures or grandparents or somebody in your life and your family who you never doubt their love for you and their care for you, but they also exhibit it through a kind of playful teaching. Um, I love that. And so Jesus, for me, in my mind's eye, is full of love for them, full of understanding of the potential in them, and just got a twinkle in his eye when he says, what are you looking for? (laughs) And then come and see yeah, yeah, I, I I love that. I I mean, if if I want, I'm going to put myself here in in Jesus's shoes, which is a very dangerous thing to do. But if I am walking along and I see two people I've never met following me, I don't know what I'd say to them. I, I I'm not sure I would say, "What are you looking for?" <laughs> it, it's just. It feels like a very nuanced question. It, it, it isn't just, why are you following me? Or 
can I help you? Yeah. It's, what are you looking for? Which is a very existential. Do you remember, do you remember the part in the movie where Forrest Gump started running, you know? He just yeah. couldn't stop running. And he runs and he runs and he runs. And then people start following him. I was and then, running. <laughs> and then eventually he's got hundreds of people running behind him. Yes. And uh, it's almost that a little bit. He's, I've never thought of the messianic qualities he's of doing, Forrest Gump. Forrest is doing his thing. And people are so magnetized to it and drawn to it. And they, they assign this status to him and then he just stops of course and they're they're like what how do you stop and he said i'm i'm finished i'm tired i think it was i'm tired or something. he says i want 